go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. The Cognitive Rampage, a scientific approach to self-discovery, change, and life optimization, is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there. But I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs as how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. This podcast is actually an interview. I was on the Mindset Mountain Podcast, which you can find uh, online, iTunes, few other places. It's Eddie Aguilar and Jason Lagard. They um, they talk a lot about the mindset of life, the approach, the perception you put together, and they have a lot of great interviews. They were fun to talk to, and they asked some uh, some direct questions, some open questions, some fun ones to to journey down. And uh, I actually revealed something on this interview uh, on the Mindset Mountain podcast that I'd never talked about before on my own podcast uh, or any video I had done uh, on social media. I uh, just hadn't mentioned it, but they brought it up, and uh, it centered around um, my interview appearance on Joe Rogan uh, and what that really did or how that really influenced my life other than how you might think and how I, I had not spoken about before. But I talk about that, but uh, I hope you enjoy. Uh, it was a pleasure and an honor uh, Go back anytime on that podcast, on the Mindset Mountain podcast. Uh, but this is myself being interviewed by Eddie Aguilar and Jason Lagarde on the Mindset Mountain podcast. Hey, do you hear those footsteps? Yeah, those are your footsteps because today you've made a decision to change your attitude, to strengthen your beliefs, and to maximize your mindset. So it's time to get ready, grab a backpack, a bottle of water, and you better lace up those hiking boots because this is the Mindset Mountain Podcast with Eddie Aguilar and Jason J. Boom Legard because believe me, it is your time to climb.
Boom! What's up, everybody? Jason J. Boom Legard here, myself and my co-host, Eddie Aguilar, bringing you another interview episode. But I'm calling the shot right now in this introduction to tell you this is unlike any other interview episode we have ever brought you before. So if you're tuning into our podcast thinking it's just like every other podcast out there, you think it's, oh, it's an interview episode, they're going to talk about the same old, same old, tired shit. I'm happy I am overjoyed to disappoint you on that because in this episode, you're going to hear three guys hanging out for around an hour and a half, and we're going to dig in the trenches together, and we're going to talk about topics that many people don't want to discuss right now, and we're going to ask the tough questions, the real questions, because we need real answers, especially in the times that we are in right now. So that is is the type of episode that you've been waiting for. If that's what you're seeking right now, then I am very happy to tell you that we delivered. So kick back, get ready, dedicate some time. Because Eddie, myself, we're about to get our cognitive rampage on with our guest, Adam Lowry. All right, here we go. Hey, everybody. This is Eddie Aguilar coming to you with another episode on the Mindset Mountain Podcast. First and foremost, today is going to be a day to be remembered. And uh, and I'm sure we're going to end up talking about this, but uh, it's actually October 2nd. And for those of you that have been aware, uh, we have that major horrific event that took place in, in Las Vegas. But uh it's call it fortunate, unfortunate. Uh, our guest on deals a lot with uh, and seeing di- and seeing things in different light, uh, bringing about change in perspectives on not only on our past but on our present. And he's an author, and uh, I'll have to admit, and I'm not trying to blow smoke up his ass, but his podcast has now become my favorite podcast. I love this dude. Uh, love to listen to what he has to say. And this dude likes to rampage. And I want to welcome our guest, Adam Lowry. How you doing, Adam? Uh, I'm doing okay, man. Just uh, my heart's still out and mind's out to uh, those that are, you know, been affected of what just uh, happened out in Las Vegas. That's a, a tragedy. Uh, now one of the largest ones, I think, in the, in the U.S., it is. And from what they're saying now is, you know, you have 59 dead and at this exact moment, the recording and 527 injured. And uh, unfortunately, you know, that number is going to grow. So, uh, yeah, this is a tough thing to wake up to this morning. So but um, sure, we'll touch up on this topic. And I think you have quite a bit of knowledge on uh, on how to deal with certain things like this uh, tragedies and how to move forward. And I'm looking forward to uh hear your thoughts or perspectives on on events like today so uh let's get a turn it over to our uh, co-host uh jason legard how's it going brother yeah definitely uh tough stuff to wake up to this morning uh, i had a actually a guy i worked for was actually just in vegas uh you know just this weekend and saw on the news from some of the footage that the chevron station he had gassed up the rental car from was he was at that chevron station that was literally like around the corner and so definitely some some tough stuff and and yeah definitely there's an aspect of dealing with these types of circumstances and also getting at the root causes of them that I definitely it's one of the questions I had for you Adam you know later on in the show but before we get into those other questions and, and take our deep dive 
we always like to start our show off, Adam, with our tried and true question. And we love the answers every time we get them because they're always unique to the individual. And that question for you, brother, is what is your personal definition of mindset? You know, my, my personal definition, I guess, is allowed to be loose from my study because, you know, when we talk about mindset, there's, as you mentioned, so many angles and the root of anyone's personal truth is really their own perception, their own belief of things. You know, so my, my personal, I guess, mindset, if you will, it's rooted in a lot of things. It's environmental, it's behavioral, it's uh, social, it's cultural influence. It's, uh, it has so many different varies. as has a... Uh, a actual scientific influence even, right? If we talk about neural pathways and how they get created right over time, you know, so the, the mindset itself is somewhat open, like you said, to the individual. And for me, studying that and being open to all that, it's, it's hard not to even take my own perception each day of, on anything really, including the, the idea of mindset and, and not blow it up and break it apart and dissect it and turn the Rubik's cube a few times to line it back up. But the you know, what I almost the foundation really to what I talk about is is based in a, in a mindset and what you believe. Right. We separate many times thoughts and beliefs as being two different things. And uh, they're part of the process of the train of thought of how we think. But, you know, the, the mindset for me is our superpower, really, because it's something that we can wake up each day and shape how we want it to be. And no one can tell us that that's wrong. And as you as you mentioned, you know, we'll get deeper into it later, uh, you know, the mindset of what trauma is and what it becomes in our lives and the effect and the role that it plays uh, in our moment along with our, our future moments. And so it's based in that perception, as you said. So for me, it's it's open. You know, mindset is is I don't know. It's almost where you start. Right. I mean, you wake up first. Your mind is almost the first thing that turns on almost before your body even starts moving. Right. We can argue that, you know, our body also influences us. Right. Our behavior over time. But the mindset is something uh, we do have control over. Right. And for the control freaks, uh, your mind, your mindset is what you can truly control uh, at all times. So it's the it's the driving force right behind uh my philosophy and probably even those that don't even realize the mindset um, that they're operating on, right? We could refer to the mindset as the operating system, right, of our lives. So a lot of people don't even know what system they're running on, right? That's, uh, that's when I refer to the beliefs. We know what we think, sometimes how we think, but what we believe is such a, a, a deeper aspect and most people don't know. So we live our mindset, whether you believe in one or not on some level. Man, <clears throat> This is going to be a great one because you already took it to a place that was one of my main things I wanted to commend you on and listen to your podcast because you, you brought this issue of the the belief that forms the mindset. And one of the and I totally agree with it. And I love what you talked on one of your episodes, you know, kind of like your core principles where you talked about like once you have that belief, then the, it allows you to make an instantaneous choice. And it reminds yeah, me, it, yeah. yeah, it reminds me so much of Tony Robbins, where people would say, "Oh man, it took me twenty years to to get to here and have this breakthrough." And he's like, "Bullshit! You made it. May have had that may have been your journey, but when you made the choice, it was instantaneous." And right. That's the yeah. That's exactly right, man. You're you're already getting me all uh, <laughs> rampaged up. I mean, it's the it's the truth, man. And all we really are doing, right? If you study the process of change, right? We want to say respect the process many times, right? Change is a process. We like to say. I always like to say it sounds good, doesn't it? But <laughs> if you really look at the process of change, 
what we really do is question ourselves on something, or sometimes life makes us question self, right? And we question what we're thinking, what we're doing, etc. And then a process or over time, all we're doing is gathering evidence. And if we can gather enough evidence based on what we've seen, what we've uh, experienced, especially, then once we've gathered enough evidence to convince ourselves to change our own mind, then we're willing. And then that is when change happens, right? That's the very moment. So if we can fast forward and say, wait a minute, we're gathering evidence to be able to change our own mind about something that we believe uh, we don't have to do that process. I can just look at something and say, this event was this. No, this event was this, and this is how I'm going to perceive it, right? I can change that process, right? Yeah, and that's what I loved about the fact, you know, that you brought that up on your show is because I love that aspect of something I've been experiencing recently, dealing with some things from my past, uh, is that there's such a beautiful power in realizing it is instantaneous when you make the decision, and it's just there's something that gets gets the gets the juices flowing when you can make that shift and, and realize that and then take advantage of it. So, Eddie, brother, boy, you, you weren't kidding. You, you knew we were going to get crazy on this one and get in some flows. So I'll turn it back over to you, brother. Oh, for sure. One thing, <clears throat> one thing that we have yet to hear somebody explain, and, and obviously, of course, it comes from you, Adam, is that you're talking about it's shapeable. It's something that we can shape. And just the example you gave is taking, gathering evidence to change, change it through the process of, of what our mindset's going to be from, from today moving on forward. And today's a prime example of, you know, where some people see nothing but tragedy and horror, but yet other people seeing, you know, I've seen posts of hero, you know, people being heroes. And I just saw an interview of a young lady, probably in her late teens, early 20s, saying some guy carried me. And if it had not been for him, I wouldn't be alive. And so you see both aspects of it. And it's all based on your perception of where you are at that moment in time. But I know for you, as Jason was explaining, was it can be a moment. But before we talk about your moment when uh, your life changed, and I know you shared it a few times. But for those that haven't heard, to give a little perspective... Uh, would you mind diving back into kind of uh, kind of your backstory and uh, kind of the life you had? Because uh, for those that listen to uh, Adam and his voice, you hear that little slang, and I love your slang, and then your flow and the way you speak. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> You're smooth, man. I'll tell you what. It's a competition between you and Sean Stevenson from the Model Health Show that got that smooth <laughs> voice, dude. So <laughs> anyways, if you would, take us back, dude. Man, uh, let's see. I can. I'll run through uh, the basics. As I, I tell you, yeah. some some of the stories uh, could end up being a movie one day and a script that, that we may be working on. But uh, <laughs> some of it, you know, childhood for the most part, I, I I skipped through it. But it is one of the most influential times in our lives, right? And we don't want to stand here and say, hey, "Here's the sob story of what it was," because there were good things too, right? My father showed me how to hunt and fish. Uh, he showed me uh, how to survive in nature, right? He showed me how to fight. Uh, show me also how not to treat a woman. <laughs> also showed me how not to treat children. How sh showed me how to be different. And a lot of people, you know, they don't even have a father to have a what not to do wristband on, right? So mm -hmm. for me, you know, my father gave some good examples of what to do, but a lot of times, for the most part, um, 
what not to do, you know, and going through a couple of those dark storms, you know, it leads to anger, et cetera. You know, football is my saving grace as uh, many of us that experience uh, violence in the home, you know, take con- take to combat sports pretty well. And, uh, you know, that dream lasted a short period of time. And after that, man, it got pretty crazy, man. Uh, my life turned into a Guy Ritchie film. Uh, it, um, yeah, it just went from selling drugs pretty hard, uh, you know, robbing people. It was pretty, uh, pretty intense, man, some movie stuff. But uh, got through all that, got into nightclubs, somehow survived a long-term incarceration, got into nightclubs. Uh, that scene kind of bridges <laughs> between the other scene, too. So uh, it's hard to kind of leave that, man. But Got into it for a while, did pretty well at it, had a good time, but, uh, you know, addiction followed. And it's hard to call it addiction when you're surrounded by money, you know, when, when everything looks good, right? You don't even notice what you're really doing. And I got pretty deep and hard in that for a while, man. And uh, honestly, I, I referred to it as a Forrest Gump moment, uh, that Lieutenant Dan scene where he ties himself to the top mast uh, during the storm. I had one of those moments. It was a typical night at the end, uh, end of a club night. It was like a Tuesday. Uh, came home. Ended up having, a, I don't know, 16-hour uh, self-deliberation, crying, writing, uh, just laughing, all kinds of things that night, praying. And, he, and it just kind of said, walk away, you know, walk away from it all. And I did, gave everything away, uh, walked away from the nightclubs, my friends, uh, ended a four or five-year something relationship and went on walkabout, man. I took a job digging holes in, uh, in the Keys, did that through August, slept on a linoleum floor with a bunch of guys. I uh, just I didn't want anything to do with like, you know, VIP ropes and, and, and endless cocaine talk, really, just people talking forever and had to change, man. And I walked, uh, ended up uh, out at the Acomo Pueblo in Sky City on a reservation for a little bit. I uh, was with my brother in Tennessee for a while. That was kind of like the first time I got to kind of see family for a minute. Like, wow, that that's how that works. And, uh, you know, after two years, came back and I was, you know, man on a mission, man. I uh Went into, got my degrees in mental health counselor, started treating people with addiction, came in hard and fast, you could say, and just uncovered mountains of corruption uh, and improper treatment, really, uh, non-applied science treatment methods, uh, what I call chemical incarceration, a summary of the uh, Florida model treatment for addiction that spread across the country. Uh, following that, the opiate academ- epidemic, which people don't seem to notice, but uh, I started shouting that out. And... Also, I didn't want to be somebody just pointing out negative, so I, I wanted to come up with solutions, something new. So uh, transrational structure behavior theory was the theory that I uh, founded, uh, a new approach, if you will, uh, a combination, because you had people practicing cognitive you know, pra- practices, CBT, uh, CT, et cetera, and then you had behavioralists that were focusing, no, it's, it's behavioral, you know, the continual argument, and even today you see it, you know, the social environmentalists that are talking about that influence, and then the biology, the biology. All of this is influential. So I just pulled from all of those sciences of what was working, uh, some of the giants in, the, in each of those fields that were working, pulled all that together. And I knew I couldn't write a book saying, here's the steps, right? Here's how you do uh, and fix your life, because that would be irrational, because I can't change somebody's beliefs and perceptions, right? We've talked about that. So it was trying to find a way to frame, uh, build a framework for all of those methods for uh, of course, with no effects. And for TSP, but you can't sell a book, in my opinion, called Transrational Structure Behavior Theory. At the time, I was doing these cheap little Ustream videos in a private practice office with um, uh, my greatest mentor, Leo, who I talk about in the book. 
Um, but I was doing these rampages. I was just upset. And I was just going off about the system. And, you know, I wasn't your run-of-the-mill addiction counselor either. I, I Most of the time, they, you know, they sit in a circle. They pass out the, the little folder or the pamphlet, and you read it in unison and process the group, right? But me, I went in teaching, man. I was I was on fire. I was like, I don't want to sit here and do that. we got to do different. So I was working the whiteboard. You know, I look like a madman, right, by the end of the group. But I was trying to teach psychology, not just process group, right? So I, I ended up building all these little didactic lessons along the way. And that's how TSBT kind of got dissected and then pulled together and torn apart and pulled together. That's why there's two editions of the book. I had to revisit my own theory. And if I'm true to what I say, question my own stuff. So I had to go back, write a revision and pull biases out, new things I discovered. So, you know, that story built up to now. Uh, and let me just say, when you're telling the truth on the airwaves about uh, corruption and people dying, uh, when they're really just trying to find help, well, good luck finding a job in the field. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and had a uh, once in a lifetime uh, opportunity, um, met Joe, uh, Joe Rogan. He brought me on his podcast, really put the, uh, the horn out there, if you will, what was really happening. And I got louder. Um, I always like to joke that not 24 hours after I came off Joe Rogan, I was fired from both of my um, my mental health counseling jobs before I even got back from L.A. And so that was pretty much it. And then I said, OK, this is what we're going to do. Then then we're going to go all in. Then. And I did. I put it all on the table and I've been saying it ever since. And, you know, with the help of podcasts like Joe Rogan's, your podcast, uh, Mental Health Warriors, uh, a bunch of different podcasts, you're starting to see that word, uh, that truth come out about addiction treatment, uh, about even diagnosis and uh, uh, over medicating. You're seeing that change. And for me, whether it was my voice that that put it out there, you know, saying it or Dr. Stanton Peel, who's one of my heroes, has been talking about it for a long time. Uh, whoever, you know, uh, it's getting out there now. People are noticing. And so uh, that's a positive aspect on it. You know, that's uh, I know I may have fed you with a fire hose there, man. But <laughs> no, no. And I've heard this all before. And so is Jason. But <clears throat> I just wanted to re- wanted you to reiterate and touch on all those points with Joe Rogan and stepping out and a little bit about your childhood on what to do, what not to do with your dad and what, you know, and, and kind of some of the. And that's kind of what this the whole basis of this this podcast is about is is just the basis of your mindset to, you know, go through the shit that you went through, you know, from from dealing and selling and, you know, uh, nightclubs and cocaine and drugs and money. And you've been around, you know, quite a bit of uh, how do you want to say toxic environment, so to say, at least may not seem toxic immediately, but later on to auto to honestly transfer your life, your thoughts, your mission to to do good and help others. And and I heard you explain that in doing so, you were doing it to help yourself was the main reason you started, if, if I'm correct. Oh, yeah, man. I'm, I, there's no shame there, man. I was going, I, I got to do something. I got to change something. But look, I'm, I'm stubborn, right? So I'm going to say, let me go figure this out on my own. Uh, you know, took bumps and bruises. But yeah, so had to dive straight in and... You know, when you do that, right, when you're willing to question your own shit, it's so amazing how almost in a it creates a humility in you because you're willing to go, man, I am so full of shit. And when you can see that, it almost brings you down to that level of going, okay, I can actually fix things now. I can actually make adjustments now. But it's hard because, you know, the coping skills I use through all that were almost the reverse of what I needed to make the change. You know, the coping skills I had then were be tough, you know, uh, just swallow it, don't, don't tell anybody, just make money, have fun, right? It was, it, was, it was almost ignoring it, right? But 
if those coping skills I write about in the book, right, your early life victories, if those worked, you know, if I, if I use these coping skills to survive that shit, well, of course they're going to work now. But I kept applying those. But until I was willing to question my own skills that I had, you know, earned, I burned them through the fires of my experience. My, I know my tools work. And until you're willing to question those tools of yours, you can't make that change. And I couldn't realize that it's actually the opposite tools. It was vulnerability, humility, the ability to question self, to be wrong, right, to analyze, not self-criticize, you know, to change my perspective of the world, others, and self, that that was, that that was possible. All opposite tools of what I had to use, in my opinion, to survive the other things. So it's it's about questioning your own your own beliefs, your own your own experiences, and especially your own tools. And I'm gonna pull something from your book because I just I, I have your book on my uh, phone, and if you just what you said just hit perfect with what I just pulled up. And here here's a couple questions for you listeners, and it ties into what you just said, Adam. Is why would you hold on to negative beliefs that breed poisonous and often irrational thoughts and why would you grasp so tightly to your concrete beliefs if those thoughts born from these beliefs create feelings you don't want to feel or promote behaviors you no longer wish to continue and that sounds like you're right from experience on that one brother well, and let me be, let me be you know a little less kick in your front door like I like to be, which is I mean uh, the first thing we got to get out of the way, right? Because somebody right now listening to your show is going, you know, forget that guy. I was there, damn it. You can't tell me what I didn't experience, right? And you're telling me I can just change it, right? The the reason they hold on to those beliefs is because it then concretes the narrative, right? The narrative and the story they tell of their of their lives. So imagine the older you are. I'm 36 now, or uh, a 56 year old. Pick a age i've been telling this story for this long and now you want me to just let go of these negative concrete beliefs act like the experience you know that i had wasn't real uh no it doesn't match my story so that's again not even being able to question your own beliefs about those sure we might yeah those aren't concrete negative beliefs because i was there damn it it was bad but can you go further right and then be willing to question that even and change that that's how deep you got to be able to go and it's hard you know, just to, you've probably heard the example I use a lot, but I think it's good yep. for listeners to hear is before we can walk into a lot of that, what I try to ask people to first come to grips with is, you know, there is no truth, right? And I like to be clear that in our physical realm here, I'd like to say there's no truth, right? We can talk beyond that maybe on, on another level, but um, if we can grasp and come to grips, right? If, if they ride a roller coaster and they tell me it's not, it's not scary at all. And I ride the same roller coaster and I say, man, never again, scariest ride of my life. Who's telling the truth? You know, that, that truth is left to the perception. And that's a very simple moment, but sometimes it's enough to make people go, well, oh shit, we're both right. Right. You know, so if you can grasp onto that, let's go back to your trauma. Let's go back to your childhood. Let's go to your now, that bad relationship you're in, right? Whatever it is, let's go back to that trauma as you've labeled it, right? Because, you know, we were there. We ha- we're asking themselves, we're asking ourselves to ignore that ride that we took. Ignore that. You're telling me to ignore that I think that was the scariest roller coaster of my life? Bullshit. I was there. I'm not riding it again. And not to mention, it matches our 36 year narrative of our story. So you want me to question the story I've been telling for 36 years, the experience of the roller coaster ride that I had, of that trauma that it was. You want me to question all that because there's no truth and you're saying I could change the belief right now that yes 
that's that opening, that click, right? If you can get that grasp, right? But people, man, brother, they hold on to that, that pain. It defines them, right? Shit, most of the time you're talking to somebody, hand them a microphone, tell me your story, right? It's a drama. It's a fucking horror story. It's not that epic journey, right? They, they tell you this sad stuff, but they hold on to it, man. It defines them, brother. And we can get attention, too, from even the negative rewards, right? What I've been through, I can play that sob story and get, oh, man, you've made it. It's great. We can get that. And sometimes it's all people have. And when you ask them to change that narrative, well, a lot of times, man, it sounds good, right? It sounds good. But it's hard to ask people to change everything they believe about themselves. It is. It is. It defines who we are. And because uh, I can go on back and forth with you, but I better let Jason uh, chime in on <laughs> some stuff here. Jason, what are you thinking, brother? Well, I'm I'm about ready to laugh my ass off over here, Eddie, because you know probably already where my head was going at with what I've been dealing with lately with talking about, you know, storytelling. And yeah. Adam, everything that you're talking about, uh, and it's just, again, divine timing, me and Eddie believe in it you know in so many ways and this interview is another example but everything you just talked about adam is something that i've been processing in my own storytelling because i have a past and that story defined i'm 46 and that story defined decades of my life in all kinds of ways and it wasn't until recently where i've started to have that questioning of that story and realizing like you said sometimes we're so locked in, even if it's uh, like they like said, give me the mic, man, I'll tell you all kinds of just horrible shit. And I'll be, I'm proud to tell you because, man, I'm going to inspire you and look at this and what happened. And, you know, I lost, I was in this accident and this, this, this. And it wasn't until recently I realized that in my head, my mindset, and I wasn't even aware of it, is that that story, all the negativity of this background story in my head was the only way I possessed power to influence change on people. And that's yes. what the, that's what then fucked me up because I was even reminded of a friend of mine, first time I met her, where she's like, hey, give me your 10-minute story, tell her the deal. And then she says, hey, let me ask you a question. Do you feel that the that if you don't tell that part of your story that you don't have value to offer your clients? And it, mm. and it sh I didn't have an answer for it at that time. And, sure. you know, so everything you talked about, I think it's just hilarious that here it's, I mean, literally in the last probably week and a half, it's really come to the front. And now it's moving into like, yeah, I can tell pieces of that story just like you tell pieces of your story. But it's like, let me flip the script on that. And just use it only as a momentary springboard to say, but this is what this is all about. This is how you go out and change your whole life. And, and we talked at the, at the front, and we can do it instantaneously because that story no longer defines what I can give you from my heart and my soul. So what you said, brother, pfft, I, saw, I almost started laughing while you guys are still talking. I'm like, okay, come on now. <laughs> it's like he's in my head. You well, know? you know. And, and, and a lot of the, a lot of the things, you know, we, we skip over, right? I, again, I, whatever I even say sometimes, right? You got to question it. So even for myself, I say, okay, it sounds good, right? We can change the, the mindset. We can change the beliefs, right? And, but I, if you want to, to really help people understand, right, is the difference between a belief and a thought, right? And really dissecting those. Cause in psychology, right? What we do is, is doing that is, is diving in and dissecting like we did the process, right? So if we, you know, dive into what a belief really is and where that comes from. 
Um, to open that up for people, I, I like to look at it that it comes in an order, right? That people, a lot of times, they, they speak uh, in feeling, right? I just feel like it's a bad idea. I feel like this is happening to me, right? I feel like I should be this way. And they're skipping actually three steps when you get to that. So, you know, what we think creates what we feel. What we think is defined by how we think, and how we think comes from this belief that we're talking about, a, a belief schema, a hardwired neuropathway that has been shaped and defined over a period of time, our lives, behaviorally, uh, through experience, through culture, through societal experience and interaction, um, has shaped this belief, right? And so we're also evolving humans, evolving beings. So as we've evolved over the years, we've had to learn to think faster, respond quicker. And in order to keep up, what we do through language is we invent categories, right? And let's call them Democrats, Republicans, pick two categories, right? We pick categories that when we can put that hat on, it quickly gives us responses, labels, thoughts, how we should think and feel, right? What we believe, right? So we say, if you're right when you believe this, left wing this, central, whatever, right? So these labels, Adam to mental health, right? Depression, we believe this, we act this way. So the belief itself, the full schema of those beliefs are really what define how we think. And then how we think basically determines what words actually populate that stream the sentence that create the actual thought. Those thoughts that we create, create how we feel. No one else makes you feel sad. No one else makes you feel happy. Our perception from our beliefs create our thoughts. Those thoughts create how we feel. So telling someone else they make you mad or even happy is not true, right? So it's the real science of it and breaking that down and how you feel we know predicts how you'll behave. I can pretty much guess how you're going to behave if you're walking around a room screaming and yelling and breaking things, right? So if we look at the process of all of that, that from be, from belief to thought to feeling to behavior, that's the process we have to dissect. And many people don't know what they believe, man. They really don't. If you say, and for me in the book, I broke it up to three different beliefs, right? Three core beliefs is what I call them. What you believe about the world, others, and self in one sentence, flat out, period. That is where you start. And what I say is those three beliefs filter all of your other beliefs that eventually create your thoughts, whether you like the Miami Dolphins or eggplant. All of those beliefs all stem from how you see the world, others, and self. And if we don't investigate those, if we don't analyze ourselves and learn to stop criticizing ourselves, then all we're doing is perpetuating the same thoughts, creating the same feelings, doing the same behavior, telling ourselves we live a vicious cycle, wondering how do we change it. And we start with that belief and being able to dissect that. When you can modify, as we've already discussed, there is no truth. So that trauma belief of the past, the present, the experience, we can pull that belief from that experience. But those beliefs, remember, they're shaped. They're shaped, man. We rolled the roller coaster. They told us we were there. We had feelings. We told the story. But if we can open that up and dissect the belief, we can modify a belief that will quickly change how we think. Not just simply talking about the basics of reframing. You see this shit all the time now. Everybody's talking about think positive. Reframe the word to sound positive. Well, you can do that, but that's the third step. You're skipping one and two. Just changing and reframing, yes, it can be helpful. It can reduce the redlining anxieties, depression. It can help you in the now. But to really change that, to move beyond it, to conquer it, to cure it, you have to examine those beliefs, put them through a rational, not an irrational filter, question those, and then that will modify really what and how you think, not just because you framed it to sound that way. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Man, no, I, and I like how you always bring up, you know, it, this 
is to, even though you're dealing with like deep emotions and, and there's intense stuff, traumas, and I love how you always bring it back to like, but you have to look at these things rationally because then you can put it through a filter. It's science, there's science involved and you can go, okay, hold the phone now. I, I need to detach. Like I can't be like this raving lunatic every time on this particular issue from my past. Let me break this down. And it's like, and then, then, cause then it's almost like, from my experiences, it allows you that almost like a brand new outsider's perspective, even though you're doing it to yourself, you know, because you're not caught up in, you're not still caught up in your own story. It's, you know, you're able just to, you know, just take those pieces and be like, okay, that one's got to, let's mold that to something, to something new or something different. So I'm loving all this, man. This is, whoo, Eddie. All right, let's let's keep it going, brother. <laughs> <laughs> We're giving Adam his little spurts of rampage here. So, <laughs> but, um, what I wanted to talk about was, uh, <clears throat> sorry, I got an itchy throat, so I'm trying not to cough right <laughs> into the mic. Uh, but where I wanted to head with this was kind of today. The thoughts or perceptions of today, what we woke up to this this tragic deal in Vegas, and you know, I've seen I've seen different aspects of the whole situation of, you know, hate and anger and then heroism and, you know, sympathy and, you know, people lining up for the blood banks and whatnot. And so there's going to be major repercussions from this as far as PTSD for those that were there, uh, you know, those that have those that were there that lost somebody that they were with, uh, so on and so forth. People stepping up. I heard two women talking about how they ran up to a big old pickup truck and asked to jump in the back of the truck. And the guy said, no, get away from us. I was like, you motherfuckers. I wish I was there. And then so they ran off to another and ran into a guy and a gal and said, hey, you know, can we get a ride? Can we jump in with you? And they threw him in. Well, it happened to be an undercover cop that drove him to a police station and took care of them and uh for the you know for the remainder of uh several hours so something like this many people are kind of lost and flustered and trying to grasp what how do you say and i guess this is a thought what the reality of our world is today and there's so much questioning i'm sure you've seen it and i know you're you're caught into it as well just the emotional stress and turmoil that it creates but Kind of, can you give us some perspective on what your thoughts went through today on, on this event in Vegas? You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, I do study my own responses, right? My own initial thoughts to things, because then I can grab that thought and dissect it. And unfortunately, the first response was, again, oh. it, it's it, it wasn't like, oh my god, can you believe it? It was, yeah. I, I, my response was, again. And again, it just felt like, again, you know, I'm from Orlando. I live in Orlando. Uh, and, you know, Pulse wasn't that long ago. It's not far from me. And even then, I found myself responding again. And it just seems perpetual. And the other side of the coin, and in real statistics, which a lot of people don't like, and, and, you know, hard times like this, is it is the safest time to be alive. It is the longest we've ever lived. It's the less violent we've ever been. Uh, that's major change. What I'm happy about is that people still recognize the mass change that still needs to take place uh, when it comes to violence. What you do about the violence becomes the problem, right? There's always the issue of gun control, it seems, is going to be for a while. 
Uh, I mean, I have a permit. It's hard not to uh, be for that, right? But we know it kills a lot of people. Australia's had numbers, you know, uh, drop significantly when they pull it. But, I mean, there's more guns than people here. So, I mean, good luck, right? We have to be rational, too, about the solutions. You know, just pointing that out, right? We can't just be irrational and say uh, everybody that's not from our country cross the border and get out of here, right? And maybe build a wall or something. This, these would be irrational <laughs> approaches to solve things when we can be rational toward things, right? And I include that as you think you're really going to take all the guns away. That's going to be a problem, right? This this isn't rational. So, you know, we have to look at it from so many aspects. It won't be long, right? As w what happens after this, right? After the trauma begins to come down, you hear the talk of mental health. You hear the talk of gun control, of controlling all this and, and making that go away. And where do you start drawing the lines? You're going to hear the talk about freedoms, right? What freedoms do we give up to keep it safe, right? Everyone hates the airports now, but we're willing to sacrifice those freedoms after September 11th, right? These are the societal influences, right, that define our beliefs, right? Again, we reach to the beliefs, and there's such a duality my brother, in today's society that is tearing us apart. We live in the age of dualism. It's one team versus the other team and one country versus the other country, one God versus the other God. Uh, and in this age of dualism, we struggle to define ourselves. You see tribalism pops up, smaller groups of other groups, and then we can't seem to find that greater reason to pull together. And I think about the mental health issue when they talk about it, right? And I hear tons of people, let's bring awareness to mental health. I don't know what awareness is going to do anymore. I think it's time we bring solutions. I think we're all pretty aware that issues in mental health exist. And the biggest issue is not the awareness. The biggest issue is the treatment for mental health, the access to it and conquering the stigma of it. Those are the things that can prevent things like this. But also these mass murders, man, you can trigger this going all the way back to society's creation, the enforcements. Who knows what creates a, a man to respond in such a psychotic place? Perhaps we live in a psychotic world. We're influenced by technology and advertising. We're told what to do. I wrote a paper in college that marketing was the death of mankind's psyche. Right? We could no longer follow what we actually believed and sought out naturally. Right, We were told what to own and have. Right, And this it does damage to people's psyches over time. Right, Loss of relationships, etc. Not to mention the spread of dementia and all the other possibilities that are influencing our, 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 our selves, our environmental selves. EMF, who knows the things we're discovering. Right, So what this does, I think, is it brings up the bee's nest, the, 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 the trouble that this is in and how it's all tied together. And the example that I, I like to look at is, look, if, if we all have a bacteria infection of some kind, the only way to treat that essentially is with the antibiotics. And you know you have to finish the antibiotics, right? If they give you 10 and you take five, more than likely you're still going to have it. And the problem is we have so many things that really appear as if they need that antibiotic. And the, what we're doing is we're handing each little tribal group or cause that happens one antibiotic or two, and they have to take 10. So everybody gets one or two antibiotics, but nobody finishes the whole dose, so nobody ever gets worse, and the bacteria grows further and deeper. And these destructions run further. For me, it's about reaching out to those kids first, right? They're the new crop, the new people to come up. That's where we start the transfer. And over time, maybe it grows into something, but that's personal sacrifice that we all have to do as a society, a world, and a culture. You know, so we can talk 
talk about the mental health. I mean, if we talk about the gun control issue of it, for me, we're talking about the surface of the shit. We're, we're swimming around in the stuff that doesn't really mean or make much change. Th- these are symptoms. We're looking at symptoms of a sick society and an increasing mental health sick society because of not only duality and dualism that exists, but the enforcement of what to be, what we should be, what we're supposed to have and do being taken away, but also enforced. And until we can get below the surface of issues, but before, until we can get beyond kneel or not to kneel, if this is where we're going to dwell in the mainstream, well, this is only going to get worse. It's only going to heighten. You know, we have to change. If let's just like if we're changing self, we have to change the core beliefs of self. But yet all we do is talk about the surface feelings of a fucking country. And we don't actually go deeper into the actual beliefs of the societies and the communities in the country and change those. Start from the beliefs as a society, but we can't because we're split in two. There's too many beliefs, two sides to each of it. We're not changing it. But no, you know what? Let's talk about the surface fucking feelings of it. Let's talk about the shit that doesn't matter. We can we can want to change how we feel as a person, but we have to be willing to change and visit what the fuck we believe. And most people, they're wearing the hats, they're wearing the labels, they've been, been defined by subcultures of society and they wear those hats to their fucking grave, man. And they think they're making change in the world and it's not. And this will increase, increase, my friend, until we look at mental health as a bottom line, the environmental influences of change that are happening, until the communities come together, not to enforce beliefs on other sides, but find common ground and acceptance on both sides. When we can start to get there, man, Maybe I won't fucking wake up another day and say, again. Dude, that's some powerful shit. And it it made me think about, uh, you're talking about guns. You know, guns and, and pills are just the, you know, okay, yeah, Symptoms. we take away guns. Yeah, we take Symptoms. away guns or we take away the pills or we give pills. You know, that's not hitting the root of the problem. And, and I heard your episode about the to kneel or not to kneel. And it all goes back to perspective, is what's what right and wrong. And I honestly was about to do a post on Facebook about the kneeling aspect. And I'm like, there's so much to the backstory that I don't know what's going through these guys' minds. You know, I'm a son of a Vietnam uh, veteran, Purple Heart recipient, and I dealt with his PTSD growing up from drinking and fighting with my mom and dad and, you know, hearing all that bullshit and, and kind of going through something similar that you went through. And but you don't know. I mean, so there's there's so many backstories to the backstory. And until you start diving in those backstories and maybe you understand what somebody might be going through. And like you said, you know, give a little prescription here or there. You know, my emphasis is suicides. And what's crazy is I right as soon as we logged on and got started, I freaking got a, a message on Facebook. Of all of all guests and all anything is hey Edward was thinking about you. Had a twenty four year twenty four year old young man take his life. He went to my mm. church, mm-hmm. and I got that from a guy as soon as we started this. And it's like fuck. How do how do we deal with this? And you know people say suicide awareness. We bring awareness. People are aware of it. It's happening. Most of us and, have fucking thought about it. We're, yeah. you know we're we're aware. We're aware. And, and you're bringing it. You're bringing. You're bringing the the perfect medicine, so to say. Is well, then create some freaking solutions. And that's what you've done with your book. And one thing I love and commend you about is you put your book out, but then you went back and and did a second edition. And talk us about that. That how 
we change and things change and people change and it's okay to go ahead and act now based upon what we know but then go ahead and dive in and say you know what my thoughts have changed a little bit or my research wasn't deep enough yeah uh that's what really took place man i i put that book out um in about a year the first one and revisit it and uh, I noticed my own influential bias. It was chapter 15 specifically that, that caught me first. Now, mind you, you, you want to put the book out and go, heck yeah, I worked on that theory for three years. After I put the theory together, I wrote for uh, you know a year and a half all around there to put it out. So you want to be like, yeah, but if I'm going to really live what I'm saying do, I got to look at my own shit. And so as I, I read through it, uh, chapter 15 stuck out when I talk about, I talked about routines and finding a healthy core routine as I defined it. And I realized that that worked for me in setting a healthy core routine for me. But there were many that operated on randomness and also could put together different routines for different days and modify. And at the same time, I was telling people in my book to modify the routine that you build, change it, let it evolve, et cetera, but create a healthy core routine. Well, then you're subjectively applying your own perception of what the word healthy meant. So for then, I said, no, I, I can't have that. And so I had to go back and I ripped that chapter out. And as I ripped that chapter out, uh, I was on a new kick. Um, well, I've been talking about it a while, but um, the idea of the purpose myth. Uh, I've been known to do a couple anti-videos for anti-motivational speakers, if you will. <laughs> and why I tend to watch their videos and then comment on them, right? And I'm, I'm all for it if they give you a little inspiration, motivation, and it helps you do something, right? But sometimes what sounds good can actually hurt people. And along the, the way, uh, I, the thing came around. Uh, it's died out a little bit now, but you still see it some about uh, a lot of speakers telling people to find their purpose. And if you yeah. find your purpose, then you'll be fine in life. And I thought, well, now you're hurting people, and now i got to say something. You know, we never, it's irrational. It sounds good, but it's irrational. We never find purpose. There's no purpose light. You don't get a letter in the mail. You know, nothing happens. You, you don't do it and go, you know, this is my purpose. I and mean, uh, could we say that talent means it's purpose? Because you can sing. Is that your purpose? Right? Because you can parent. Is that your purpose? So what defines it? Right? And it became this concrete thing. So I thought if I'm a rational human being who's just down on my life and I'm sitting in your crowd and you tell me find my purpose, I'm going to be good. Well, my rational side is going to come out and say, but I can't find it. It's not hiding from me. Like I, I didn't lose it. So what if, if I can't find my purpose, maybe something is truly wrong with me. Yeah. And then you can push people down a dark path. So you're already talking to vulnerable people on a dark edge, and then you tell them to look for something irrational that doesn't exist that they can't prove they find. That is dangerous. And so then I had to include in the back end of the book, which I called the purpose myth. And the idea, though, but I, I loved it because I, I had to stay positive, right? So here's the solution. We know it, we know it exists, right? Listen, let's just not be a negative pessimist, right? And say, ah, purpose isn't real, right? It's, no one likes rationalists, right? We all sound like pessimists, right? I'm a rational romantic is what I call myself, a walking conundrum. You know, but to, to flip the idea of purpose, if we know it can be a powerful application through the belief process, which we know truth is what we create through our perception, and if we are defined by purpose does mean something, then we know we can apply the definition of calling something a purpose to then motivate ourselves ourselves that is motivate ourselves through what we think by creating new pathways to think how we think and what we think from a belief application to anything 
So we can say, this is my purpose today. This is my purpose this week. It doesn't have to be this long-term goal purpose. I don't even fucking like goals. I think goals are a waste of time, man. It's, it's like you can predict the future. What's going to happen? You focus on goals, you miss opportunities, right? Uh, goals are like a destination. I'm going to go that way, and that's about it. You know, So we can still use that. If we can create the perception of purpose to be powerful, we can apply it in any application we want to in life. And so the purpose myth is you're not going to find your myth, man. You're not going to find the purpose. That's a myth. It's not it's out, but the belief exists, and you can use the power of that. And I found that to be okay, and I needed to include that. That was part of changes at the end of it. And I wanted to add more science. I wanted to add uh, more references to all the people that I'd studied over uh, a lifetime because, uh, un unfortunately, you see a lot of people that steal people's material. They call it their own. They put a twist on it, uh, et cetera. So for me, I needed to go all the way back to everybody I had read, which included all kinds of angles, not just the, the cognitive masters like Albert Ellis and, and uh, Maslow Beck, et cetera, not those guys, but back in the philosophers, right? I had to spread that out. And even today, new scientists, epigenetic scientists, bio, uh, bio wow, I'm all over the place, uh, biogenetic uh, with our, Dr. Aubrey de Grey, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, new things, and say, listen, I'm, I'm not this naive to say that just how you believe and what you think is all you got to do. I would be irrational as everyone I'm criticizing. And so I had to bring it all together. And I used the greats that are out there and the innovators that are out there in the beginning and added that to the second part by saying, look, we know brain is influential. Here's some people to look up and the masters that are studying it. We know the epigenetic effect is getting more influential. Here's the masters that are on the top of it. Study it. Here's some philosophies we pulled from, right? And to pull all those people together, because let's face it, we can't think our way, at least not yet. We're learning more than minds powerful out of cancer or out of certain things. We know it's influential, influential and helps. But the biology does have play. Our behavior, our movement has play. Our environment, trust me, has play. So we have to apply all those and use that. So I wanted to go back, give those innovators, give those people that really influenced my life uh, the credit they deserved, add those, and give people links. I talk about chasing competence and finding it. So rather than regurgitate a lot of these people's great uh, research, I just say, hey, here's a name. Go find some competence. Find it yourself so you can get confident with enough experience to apply this enthusiastically in your life life i love it dude and that's exactly what i did with you was uh started listening to your podcast and dove into your book and uh i'm like all right this is stuff from my book this guy has insight and and i love the fact that you you admit that you don't have all the answers but you have some answers you have some solutions but you're also willing to say hey this other guy might be able to help you you're not putting yourself on top of a platform for others to to praise you and bow down to you. You're saying, hey, I'm just another tool to help you get better. And if I'm good for you, great. If I'm not, then go check somebody else out. And here's some other people to check out. And in uh, in a world today where many people are about self, it's people like you that, that I like to see out there and that I like to follow because it's very influential to say, I don't got it all. None of us have every answer to every problem that that's out there, but I may have an answer for you. Yeah, man, you got to be humble. I mean, I talk about the H to C principle, right? Humility equals competence, and that includes self. We can be humble towards self. We can get self-competent, and you got to be humble. I mean, if anybody is out there telling you at a 3 a.m. infomercial or selling you a book on, on the radio or the Internet that tells you, I have the answers to all of your problems or I have the answers to all of the world's problems, watch out. Because that's not true. No one has this figured out. I mean, to, for someone to step up, I figured it out. Sure, you may have figured out how to launch an internet business. You may have figured out how to do things, right? And isn't that the path they all take? 
I'm the self-help guru guy. Now I've made a million dollars. Now I'm showing rich people how to get richer. I used to do this and help those poor, unfortunate people get better, but now they can't even afford a ticket to my shit. It's $1,500 just to come watch me talk right now. And now I'm writing books on how I make the rich people richer and then how to optimize the rich people's lives who got all the time in the world and resources to do so. And forget about everybody else back here in the trenches, man. I got to pay my bills with these sponsorships. <laughs> hey, man. It's <laughs> Jason. Uh, man, I'm just, I'm just enjoying the hell out of this ride, <laughs> I tell you. Um, and I, I do want to jump back real momentarily to some of you guys doubt dove in deep, and, and it has to do with you know, the Vegas tragedy, tragedy and, and, uh, and what you guys talked about, definitely very similar to all my feelings. And, but there's one aspect that you brought up and also goes with the Neil, not Neil. And I was talking to my dad about this just the other night. Um, and this is one of the big aspects of, of how you go about your mission, I guess you could say, Adam, is like you said, awareness is great. But like I said, most of us are already aware. So it actually doesn't so much count for shit until you actually get, you talk about getting in trenches. And that's what you do with the show. That's what you're doing with your two versions of a book. It's what you did by taking an opportunity to be on Joe Rogan's podcast. And as I was thinking about the Neil, not Neil thing, it's just like, okay. And like Eddie, like you said, there's always the backstory to the backstory. But what popped in my head was, okay, so you, you knelt before you played your, your football game. Okay. After you knelt, what are you actually going to go out in the trenches in your communities and fucking do about it? Taking the knee, to me, that's an easy cop-out. It's just like, oh, I took my knee. All right, yay. I did my part. Did you? Because especially a lot of folks are in positions of influence and they have certain means. It's like, well, how about we step up to the next part part of the game here? And, and that's why I love everything that you're doing uh, with your mission is that you are – I mean the fact that, like you said, you take this opportunity, you go on Joe Rogan's podcast, you aren't even off the show and they're like, say, um, yeah, you're, those two jobs are gone Yeah, for you. And In it's like that blew my mind. I, and again, what was funny, like you said, when I heard that and I heard you talking about the corruption and everything else, my first thought was not necessarily again, but it was more, almost like, well, yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Because this it is, is how this yeah. is what I would expect to hear, unfortunately. So uh and I also to touch on the Vegas thing, like you, you guys both brought this up. Forget it, we got the symptoms are the symptoms. What the hell is going on at the core of our society? You know, like I said, we gotta get there. It's like whether it's a a whether it's the gun, whether it's a knife, whether it's someone's vehicle driving into a crowd of innocent people. It's like it's, those are just the way they did it. But what, like you said earlier, what causes a man at 64 years old, from what I heard, to go into this Vegas hotel and decide this is what I'm going to do? You know, and there's, there's, a, there's a core yeah. fundamental something that's off. And, and I just love the fact that you address that fully you don't hide from it with every single thing that you share in all your various ways. So uh, nothing but so much respect for you. And I had a ton of respect for you came on the show, and it just it just keep it's growing exponentially as we talk here, man. I appreciate it, man. Uh, you know, if it's hard to be in a in a 
person's mind that that does something like that. You know, I've I've uh, I've counseled some people that have done some really terrible things. You know, I've I mean, I've done terrible things, right? And for for others, you know, I like to say ghettos in the mind frame, right? So one person's isn't worse than the others because for that person, it's the worst thing that's ever happened to them. And that definition, it's just as bad as that really bad thing that happened to somebody else. So when we try to make a level playing field of what happens, that's so hard. Mm -hmm. And a response there could have all kinds of ways. For all we know, he had a traumatic brain injury. You know, that can, we know, we're in the infant stages of anything, you know, brain related as far as traumatic brain injuries are concerned. Uh, Work that in. Work on how many pills he was taking that mixed with the two beers he had that day. Uh, And I know he was looking for a lady he was there with that maybe he thought was the love of his life and, and lost her. And these are some of the moments where we allow our beliefs to affect us so badly that how we feel we truly believe is true. And suicide reaches those type of angles that what we believe and what we're thinking is that real that we're willing to go that far. And that's still being willing to question our beliefs. I mean, a a man with a psychotic break that does something like that, we want to assume it was a psychotic break Mm -hmm. that wants to make us all feel safer. Yep. Because it's a psychotic response, but for all we know, mo- most psychos or psychotics are very calm in a sense. They don't lose it like that. So, and, and behaviors, he may have well known exactly what he was doing. This may have been plotted out and just seemed like it was a spur-of-the-moment, emotional moment. We all want it to be, right? We, we don't want to think it worse that this dude planned this shit, you know, and, and was set out for days and days and days and got it ready. No, he just snapped in a moment, walked in there, and did something. If that's what happened, then that's a that's snapping, allowing the, the those beliefs to shape. And, God, for whatever his societal influence was, his cultural, could have been weighing on what his life was supposed to be. Maybe he had a terminal illness. Uh, maybe he believed he was poisoned by the government. Yep. May, right? We, we don't know his train of thought, right? And to level the playing field of, of any of those uh, predicaments or, or reasons why is, is hard to find. And that's why I think we tread in the surface of it. We tread in the um, mental, uh, let's talk about mental, mental health. Uh, the, uh, let's talk about guns, right? We, we tread where we can have easy feelings because they're yeah. based in very surface thoughts and beliefs. But to go deeper and try to say, man, why does someone respond that way? It's trying to answer why does someone rape? Why does someone molest, right? Why does someone make these choices, right? And for some brains, we can look at it now scientifically. A lot of brains are, are missing certain uh, amounts of, uh, of levels, right? Be that dopamine, serotonin, these uh, uh, neuropathways aren't, aren't firing as well. These synapses are dying, right? We don't know. You know, one hit in the head, Dr. Rhonda Patrick talks about, one cabinet bump can change your entire frame of thinking. Yep. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it's tragic. It's sad. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a fucking world we live in, right? And it's hard, right, not to take a pessimistic view when we look into the future, but then we ask self-help gurus and they tell you to, well, look at the positive in the present. And it's really hard to make that separation when you really do care about mankind. And yeah. I hope these things don't make people begin to snap out of of what we're doing here and just say, I'm out, right? You see a lot of people do that. I'm never moving to a city. I'm unplugging. I'm out. And they just step out of the game. And they're heroes for this for some reason. <laughs> and this is what you see, right? Let's let's go down the laundry list of what you're supposed to do as a motivational speaker. I unplug from, on, from social media on the weekends. This is my morning routine. I meditate. I drink this much coffee. I add this thing. I do this routine. And now I'm perfectly optimized. I don't have EMF signals. I've moved out to the country. I grow my own food. Aren't I a fucking hero? 
Uh-huh. Are you? <laughs> you, you? I think you saved yourself. You know what I mean? So for, for me, this is the run-of-the-mill person, and these are the people we hold in esteem, right? And really, it's it's a change, right? And and what do you do, right? Is it a gravity problem? Is it inevitable that this is how we develop? It may be. It, it okay. sure may be. Our fucking president tweets over fucking nuclear bombs like it's a joke or something. Like, we can't play with this shit. You know, I mean, I think we crossed the line a long time ago when a species creates an invention that can eradicate itself you've crossed a, a mental, you fucked up line. Hmm. You know, back when we c- came up with these hydrogen bombs and we did this, w- you got to think, what if we lived on a desert island and that's all we knew in life and then two of the people of the 20 that were there got together and found a way that they can invent this little thing that blew up our entire island. Yep. We'd be like, what are you doing? Right? We'd be like, what the, why would you make, make a boat? You know what I mean? Like, what are you doing? Like, make something else. How about we solve poverty here? How about we <laughs> apply money to different uh, avenues? But when we did that, we crossed the line. And now we're just, I, I, I used the, the phrase once before, I, I look at our society almost now as a toddler in a full, fully equipped kitchen with no child safety on anything. <laughs> and, we're, and we're playing around. Then that that you know what I mean. You put yeah. a six year old in the kitchen, man. You got garbage disposals, blenders, knives. You don't know what's popping, you know. And that's what we're doing. That's what it feels like. And we're just playing around in there, man. And uh, it's it's hard not to be. So what I tell people is your proximity. That's what you can affect. That's yeah. where you can bring change. And if you're going to be a, a change bringer online, that's great. And you can move the masses to do so. That's that's a beautiful thing. But. In your proximity, how you think, how you behave, how you treat others, are you accepting of others, right? If, we, if we're if we cramming our own beliefs down other people's throats going, damn it, this is the truth, but we know truth doesn't exist, then you're being irrational. Mm-hmm. And if you want the same opportunity, the same freedom to express your truth of your perception, then we have to be willing to accept others and their right to do the same thing. And until that happens, brother man, I... Bring on the age of Aquarius, because this 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 age of duality is killing me. That's for all the stargazers. Right? <laughs> I'm just I'm just something. I don't know if it's an energy, but we have to do it, and I think it takes us all affecting our proximity, or affecting our change. Sure, some of those heroes that move out to self-sustaining lives, right? They represent how we all could do it, but we all can't do that. Yeah, what if we all try to move out and buy our own couple acres, right? Good luck. We don't. Maybe we move it up to the mountains. We start things. <laughs> we have to be rational, right? I love it when there's the other shit, right? When they just look at the nine to five dad or mom and they go, "Quit your job now and just follow your dreams. You can do it. Just <laughs> stop it and build your company right now. Buy my book and then, she, man, fuck you. You know what I mean? I got two kids, right? Oh, this much to, to a student loan. I've already signed the mortgage. Great. I get it. Society's pressure. I've caved to that. Maybe I wasn't supposed to have kids or buy the house or, yes, you can walk me down the philosophical societal corruption I bought into a decade ago, but fuck, dude, I can't just unbuy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. when you look at that, it's, it's, it's funny how, how people can sell the irrational. And, you know, you can be over positive, right? You can tell yourself, I'm never going to lie again. And well, then you tell your mom how the new hairstyle looks, right? <laughs> so it, we can be overly positive to be irrational the same way. So it's finding that middle ground, that balance that people refer to. But brother, the kick I've been on lately that to give you the recesses of my mind where I've been exploring lately is, you know, we talk about the balance. It's about balance. But this seems really subjective to me. And it seems a lot like that purpose ideal. Unless there's a meter that's reading my balance and shit, 
Maybe I can read my biology balance. There's meters to do that. But how do I know if I'm spiritually balanced, mentally balanced, if I'm standing balanced? Maybe my floors are uneven and I'm not balanced, right? Until I got a full meter on me, I'm not so sure it's about balance really means anything. <laughs> Man, the, the, this, this continues to get better and better. And, and one thing I got to I back you up on, I love how you said like the, the whole like, well, I, you know, I, I've just, I've, I've tapped out. So I've gone to the mountain. I've gone and I'm self-sustained, whatever, whatever. And I remember, I think I was actually listening to Tim Ferriss talk about it with the whole issue of meditation. And he says, well, yeah, you know, when you're hearing the stories from the Zen monk and who lives in Tibet at the monastery, and, you know, he talks about how he can meditate for eight hours a day and it's beautiful and this, 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 and I am at one with source and everything. He says, yeah, but that's in that culture. He's like, take that dude, throw him in L.A. rush hour traffic for a week, and I want to see if he can maintain the same skill. And uh, yeah. so that yeah, to well, me ties in what you were saying. Like, that's our ability to be a leader. And like you said, proximity. Like, okay, how can I do my part in, in the shit? Like, not outside of the shit, because that don't count. But no, I'm right in it, and it's all this going around. And you know what? Look at what I'm able to, how I'm able to influence this change through my beliefs, through my behavior, and doing my best to, uh, you know, impact change in a, in a positive way. So I, I love the fact you touched on that. Of it don't really count when you're up in the mountains. You know? Well, let's not let's not forget either. Remember, if the true Tibetan monk is following his practice, he would tell you he has never arrived to that place. Exactly. That it's the continuous seek. Now, this guy has moved out there wearing cool-ass orange robes, living in some <laughs> awesome scenery, and he's been doing it since he was two years old. And yep. he's telling you, I can't even get to that place, and I meditate 6,000 million times a day. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he can't even do it. So, you know what? Meditate three times a day and you'll save your life. Get the fuck out of here. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 will, it is certainly influential. Don't it get it twisted, helps. right? I'm not exactly. naive. Damn, damn it's right. It's a tool. Damn right. But you meditate every day and you eat McDonald's every day. And you tell me how good you're going to be feeling later, right? <laughs> you, I mean, it, it's a combination. And that's where we get stuck, man. And that's, that's where people get stuck with. There's a combination of various different ways we can bring science into it along with the openness, right? The subjectivity of our own beliefs and applications. And in that wonderful mix, that becomes, you know, the, the, the spell that we can cast, the potion that we can make on our own and bring that together. That's the, that is the beauty of it, right? That for me is the hope of the future uh, of our realities that we all get to create together. Boom, Eddie. Uh, Yeah. One thing that I want (coughs) to kind of what you're talking about and what you emphasized before and compared to Joe Rogan, is your generalization. So for those of you guys and gals out there listening, don't think that Adam's saying meditation doesn't help. Right. It's, it's good for some. And that's one thing I want to emphasize because I know how when you get going on your rampage, it's sometimes. <laughs> so, so I appreciate people, that, man. Yeah. Some people misinterpret it. And that's the whole hey, look, thing. If, if, if somersaults work for you, do that. That's you know what I mean? I'm, that's what I'm a fucking fan of, right? That's my point. Is is if if anything works, do that. But don't just um, hey, for some hey, I'm sure the outliers where meditation completely changed and, and ratified it just did it. I'm mm. in. I know they exist. I know the spectrum. <laughs> but thank you, man. You know, I, yeah. On on Rogan, I, I I definitely generalized, and uh, yeah, I paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but how big of a step was that for you? And how big did that? I mean, how much did that help you? with yourself and saying, you know what? I stepped out. I knew what I meant. 
I can, you know, emphasize later, but those that don't understand the generalizations that people speak sometimes are the ones that you probably don't want listening to you or following you anyways, because they are so set in their, their mindset or so set in a certain ways, which is what you speak about. Okay, man. Well, I, I'll give you something I've never even talked about, not on my show or ever. You brought that shit in my head, man, so I got to deliver it. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, you asked about the Joe Rogan push and how it changed life and, <clears throat> and helped. I could look at it two ways, man. At one point in my life, I could tell you that it actually ruined my fucking life. Because I had married a woman at the time and adopted her daughter. And the dream was open the practice and be a practitioner and help the world and do my best. Well, as we know, what I discovered, I couldn't do. And I couldn't live with myself doing that for the rest of my life in a corrupt system. So when I went on Rogan, I knew I'd be fired. I knew I'd be blackballed. But I had to say the truth. And that truth, even after a $100,000 degree debt, brother, and knowing I had no other resource or resume, I was a drug dealer nightclub owner. The fuck I'm going to put on a resume? I had to say the truth, man. And in doing that, it's not so much the YouTube comments that you know hurt in the beginning when I was new to all this, and I realized you don't read the YouTube comments. You see, my wife at the time, bless her heart, was sold on the dream, was sold on the... Nine to five, counselor, health insurance. And I didn't provide that because I had to follow a belief that rang true to me because people were dying. So when I went on there, I could tell you that, sure, it bumped the website. It crashed the website for three straight days. We increased the bandwidth as many times as we could and tried to keep up. The truth is I had the website up a month or two prior. I was doing some cheap ass Ustream shit. Joe just thought the story was interesting. So overnight, Steve Stone, my right hand in all this, he was trying to build a website as fast as we could. And I wasn't one to take pictures of myself or have any. So I had to send some cheesy shit that I thought was halfway decent. And he saw comments about how cheesy the website was. It was terrible. We put it fully together in 24 hours. I mean, the name of the book at the time was Mastering Life Transitions. It wasn't even the name of the show, Cognitive Rampage. So we got that giant rush and had nothing to deliver. So in a matter of a month, well, we lost all that. But what was cool was to watch how we lost all those, like you said, that didn't follow that anyway, but then built this much larger, massive, authentic following, this tribe of change along the way that was authentic to us. So I really kind of missed the push, got my name out there, but there was nothing to sell. There was no books. There was no website, really nothing to do. So I could say it changed and pushed my life, but. I could say it ruined my life, couldn't I? Because I'm now divorced. It ended my marriage. It put a hardship because I then had to write this book. I had talked about it. And I had written, but not all of it. So now I dive into a book for nine months and I disappear, brother. And I wrote, I wrote like I was trying to save my life and other people's lives. And I put it out as fast as I could because I was on the clock. My wife had put me on the clock. I beat the clock by three months, but it was still too late. So that divorce happened, but I could keep the perception, right, that that's a terrible thing. But it was a good thing. It brought me my daughter Morgan, and it set me free. 
hell, man, I found somebody now that I, I didn't even believe in a subjective definition of love the way I experience it now with Patricia. So, man, that day, that moment, it was by fucking chance, brother. I mean, the backstory to that is fucking unreal. I mean, I went to the Joshua tree to eat mushrooms the night before. And that's what we did. And then I picked my daughter up, who was at a Pepperdine volleyball camp. She was there for a week. We went out and ate some mushrooms and had some deep visions, man. Had us some healing stuff. I mean, if for all those that have experienced psychedelics, I can tell you that at the end of that, what I was hearing and sort of told to me, I know it sounds all wooey, or what I was thinking, if you will, it said, when you're on the mic, say it loud. When you're around your friends, chill the fuck out. Because I was losing friends, brother. I was not the guy you wanted over at your barbecue. Because I'd be like, do you know where that fucking meat came from? You know, I'm that guy. So it had to, it had to change. So that, that moment, I was like, Mike, what do you mean, Mike? I barely do a Ustream thing. You know, once a week, it's not even a thing. I don't know what that meant. The very next day I pick her up, we go to the Redwood Forest or and hang out there. I always want to say Sherwood. It was magical to me. And we hang out there. And I can tell my daughter doesn't want to be out there. She wants to go see Melrose. You know, she's like, let me go see L.A. And I finally go, you know what? Let's do it. Let's just go. Let's get out of the, the we've driven around. Let me, let me give her what she wants. Come on. You know, trust me, I already looked to see if Rogan was on stage anywhere. He wasn't. He was going to be in town uh, Wednesday night at 10. My flight left Wednesday, 10 a.m. It was Tuesday when we got back to L.A. She's like, let's go down. Took an Uber down to Melrose, looked up on the improv. My daughter gets out of the improv and goes, look, Dad, Joe's at the improv. I said, no shit, man. Well, now I got to sneak my 16-year-old daughter into the improv. <laughs> the nightclub skills came into some uh, true effect, brother, and snuck her in. I took a chance. He did his little thing. I walked in the back. It was a good show. I was like, going to go say hello. I just said hello. I couldn't even get to him. He's surrounded by too many people. I just said, ah, fucking, I'm out. I went to walk. He yells like, no, no, man, what's up? What's up? I just go into a cognitive rampage about chemical incarceration. Man, I'm on the show the next day. I had to change the flights. That's random shit, man. Or is it so random, right? Mm -hmm. And I took that chance, Brandon. And, and that it was one of the kindest things he could ever do. So when I started my podcast, I said, I want to give that feeling to the people that I can. When they want that experience of the podcast, it would have felt like to release the true feelings, your whatever your activism, your book, your thought, your life, anybody. Nobody was too good or too not good to be on my podcast. So many podcasters only bring on the best in the circuits. Eh, for me, I wasn't like that. I try to get those I'm involved with. But those that haven't always done something magnificent, right? People, just get them, give them that. It changed my life, yeah. But I changed that perception, right? That's the things that we experience, man. But those are how a moment, a fucking moment, just saying hello to somebody and then choosing to say, I'm going to tell the fucking truth. I'm not going to talk about addiction treatment and how people should find intervention, et cetera. Because the truth is, brother, the people, they think they're doing what's right. That's what they're told to do. So I don't put it on them. They're told to go to rehab, forced many times with terrible intervention ideas. So, and yeah. That's, that's the answer. I've never even said that, brother. Not on my own podcast. Nowhere else, man, of really how that show went down and what it cost me now at the end of that because I refused to change my beliefs and what I was driving for. And it hurt people that were around me. Well, bless you, brother. And uh, uh, honored that you shared that with uh, myself and Jason here on this podcast. And 
you know, setting an example, the first thing I'm envisioning is that young girl that you chose to father and step up and be a dad to is the inspiration, the example, uh, the type of man for her to look for as she grows older and becomes a woman and is looking to become a wife and a, and a mother someday. And, you know, it's shit like that that's, that's powerful, that's deep, that's real, that sometimes you got to take chances and they may not be right or feel right at the, at the beginning, but, dude, I commend you big time for taking that step. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, it's, it's not your run-of-the-mill uh, self-help book motivator, <laughs> motivated speaker. I wrote this book and changed my life, <laughs> right? It cost me. I was I had to be willing to change those things in order to do bigger things, right? Think outside yourself and and even if it risks that, because at the end you're right, I still have Morgan Lowry, my daughter, who'll always be that. And uh hell, I I did all or half her her life was was that and the rest of her life. So uh, the fact I got to step in and be that uh was a gift from my ex wife as well. Uh but uh the good part, right? The things that come uh out of the pain, out of those choices, yeah. Amen, dude. Amen. And I know that because uh, my my daughter is not my biological and I've been raising her since I was a year and a half and went through an ugly divorce. And I was telling my uncle, who's more like a brother one time, I'm like, man, I can't believe I went through this shit and, and whatnot. And he goes, maybe it wasn't about you. And I'm just mm. like, what? And he goes, maybe it's about your daughter. He's all, what type of man would have been in her life? Would she had a consistent father? So when I hear you tell that story, man, uh, Trust me, I know it. So, mm, that was powerful just hearing you say it, man. In my ear, I'm, if you hear me in the back, mm, you know, I feel like I'm at church on Sunday, man. Mm, you know what I mean? That's what it feels like, bro. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you for actually saying that. I, uh, thank you for that one. Yeah, yeah. No, and blessings to you and your your, your young lady and uh, Patricia as well. So. Um, I think we we hit some freaking rampages on this, and uh, I'll let you and uh, you and um, let you, Jason, and you and Adam wrap it up. But I want to commend you for coming for sharing uh, what you shared with us, uh, especially openly and publicly, and uh, sharing your insights about uh, Vegas and also your thoughts and perspectives. And uh, uh, big time, dude! I love listening to you and uh, looking forward to continuing uh, learning from you. So. Thanks I a lot. appreciate yep. it, man. I, I have my moments, as I like to say, man. Uh, it, you all do the hard part and listen. So <laughs> other than that, I'm just making noises. So uh, I appreciate it. Right, Jason. Awesome. Yeah, I, uh, shit. Eddie took all, all the things I – he took all the words out of my mouth. Um, but, yeah, just uh, stone-cold honor, man. I mean, after listening to a couple of your shows, seeing you on Joe, and, and, and I want to commend you – as well because the level of uh honesty even on when you're on rogan's show like there are certain topics where you said some true you know quote unquote truths from your experiences that i know there's a ton of people that would not have spoke those words and it's it's funny to me and when i think about your show you know cognitive rampage or a podcast like rogan's and i damn it i consider ours one of them too I think our role here all is, I don't know, people just in the trenches is our podcasts are megaphones to the masses to say, wake the fuck up. Because there's a lot more work to be done on us, on ourselves, 
like you said, maintaining and improving our own proximity, but then we get to go out and use that to change even one life. And I know for a fact, brother, you're going to change millions of them, and I know you're going to change everyone in our audience. And by everything you've shared, uh, you know, this evening, it's been off. It's this is my new favorite episode we've we've ever had, and we've we've had some doozies, but this is my new favorite, and I, I you know, nothing but nothing but an honor to have you on, brother. And I, I appreciate it. You know, I was I was still sitting back on what you said uh, there at the end. That that emphasis, uh, I, I like that man. That that back, and I wanted you almost go back and repeat it. I was, <laughs> was like, yeah, I, I, I dug it, man. Well, you you said it now. All of a sudden, it slips my mind at the end. I was like, you said, it, I'm like, oh yes, that's that's yes about fighting. It was something I don't know, man. Well, we got recorded, man. Beginning. So you can just you can just run on a loop. Just yeah. later. It was good though, man. I I, I appreciate it, brother. I, it, it is the the trenches, right? That that we're all. Oh, that's what you said. Is the yeah. it's the megaphone to the masses. We're in the trenches with our podcast and the and the megaphone to the masses. That shit hit home for me, bro. <laughs> but that yeah, I knew it'd come back to me. I just gotta wait for it. Just <laughs> wait. Hold on. Wait for it. Um, yeah, that that was that hit home, brother. Because it, it is, and th- that man, that's the kind of shit that encourages people really to not quit their fucking podcast. They may only have five views, sixty downloads, what the fuck ever. We did two at one time, mm-hmm. and it, it got worse after Rogan, right? So <laughs> you can revive it and, and be real. You know, don't quit. I love that, brother. That's what you you, mm, you sparking a cognitive rampage in me. <laughs> oh shit! Round it's two true. coming up. Round two. Well, I, no, I mean, I don't know. I actually I jotted that down. Like 20 minutes ago, as you were on one of your rampages, and I'm like, I was thinking about your appearance on Rogan. I'm like, this is what we do. This is what, and I love, I love the fact you brought that up. Is for any one of you out there that that listens to this podcast or has your own, it, it's and Eddie and I have talked about this. It's not about the downloads. To hell with the downloads. Like if they come, they come. But it's like, man, if you just honestly express your shit. Someone out there is going to get a chance to listen and they're going to hear that message. And that might be the message that pulled them back from the brink of utter devastation. And so if that and was it, your one it download, you back. it may yeah. pull you back even because it feeds me, man. And, it, and if it feeds you, who cares if anyone listens, man, if it's feeding you and it pulls you back from the ledge, record, 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 go live, record some more. Amen. Yeah. Anyhow, so uh, real quick for we've got so we're all in a rampage mode here. Before we forget, man, uh, what's the best way for anyone you know that's now listen to this to get you know deeper into your world to get the book, you know both versions. Obviously, listen to your podcast, uh, reach out to you on social, whatever, man. Like hit us all with all the the different ways people can reach out to you because they need to, brother. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, the book is on Amazon. You can find Cognitive Rampage. Actually, if you put that in Google anywhere, you'll find uh, There's not too many things named Cognitive Rampage, but uh, the book's on Amazon, first and the second edition. The second editions are actually rare. They're kind of hard to find now, but uh, that's where you find that. The uh, Kindles also comes. You get a free Kindle with uh, the paperback edition. And actually, in October 21st, Saturday, October 21st, I'm doing a Cognitive Rampage workshop, Moving Beyond Life Transitions. Uh, it's in Orlando. Uh, you can find tickets to that, all of that, basically, all the information is at my name, AdamLowry.com, L-O-W-E-R-Y, or the Cognitive Rampage.com uh, or Cognitive Rampage.com. Anything, that's uh, where you find it. The show's on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places you're supposed to be for everybody to hear it, uh, YouTube, all the other. 
all the fun places. Watch it, listen. Uh, the workshop's going to be fun. Basically, what, what we all did here, man, uh, is I'm running through my book. I'm teaching transrational structure behavior theory through the book uh, and applying it in people's lives. And it's it's intense. I call it kicking your front door psychology. Uh, it's 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Orlando, Saturday, October 21st. Tickets, actually, you can get them through Facebook, too. Tickets on Facebook or uh, on the regular website, man. But if I, I put out, for me, brother, I'm transparent. I put free shit out. So, I mean, just the little cognitive rampages I do uh, once in a while on Facebook. You can find those on YouTube, too. Um, hell, I did a whole series uh, on YouTube on the podcast called From the Book Series, where I literally walk through some of the very specific uh, chapters nice. and, and, and walk through. So, I mean, I, I try to give away as much as I can, uh, honestly, and still uh, manage to eat. <laughs> no, we we all got to do that too, brother. Got to pay them bills along the way. Um, hey, Jason, Jason, yeah. if you don't mind me, let me interrupt. No, go, uh, go. But Adam, I know you got a new book you're working on. When's that looking at coming out? And if you want to let people know what it's about, just in case they they might have some interest in it. Oh shit! Yeah, uh, I actually wrote. It's funny when the process when it begins. Uh, I, I sat down uh, and wrote somewhere. I don't know if it's the beginning, the middle, or wherever. Uh, but I did a page or two, and that's where it begins. Uh, I actually have a co-author I brought on with this book, a uh, young guy named uh, Nick Leonfelter, who is a uh, assistant professor now at, uh, I want to say it's DePaul University uh, in sports psychology. But he wrote a great blog on it. The name of the book is called Athlete's Depression. Uh, I, I'm the founder of the Athlete's Depression Diagnosis, um, working to actually get it put into the DSM-5-TR and the new uh, diagnosis manuals that will come out. Uh, it's a huge topic. A lot of focus now is on the CTE issues of it, uh, but I'm actually talking about the mental health aspect of it. It's actually a much, much larger base, too, because it affects not only professional athletes that we see, but even athletes just as severely uh, that only play into high school and maybe quit in high school or just after high school uh, and those into college. So uh, what we're finding and what we're proving is the etiology, the manifestation, the scientific uh, de definitions, the criterion, a full-on diagnosis about athletes' depression. And what the effects are. And we're talking to professional athletes in all sports that have experienced it. We're working on some pretty big names uh, to interview that are in various fields because uh, we're, we want to split the topics of fields that we study from contact sports and then non-contact because obviously CTE is going to have a say in our research on the definition of athlete's depression. Uh, but it's something my being an athlete, ex-athlete, uh, myself going through it, um, I really, like, like you said, focused on what I experienced and saw it as something totally different. It is not a depressive disorder diagnosis. It's not bipolar and ADHD. Often the two misdiagnosis is what, what I claim uh, from it. Uh, but what I do say is that if you are playing a sport and that is your main definition of self from an early age, you're raised differently. You're raised as a gladiator. Things change, so it affects you differently, how you see the world, think the world, act in the world. And as you get older... Even if you only played a high school or if you play four years into the professional area of it, bar none, the head injuries or not, that you increase your chances of experiencing a severe, keyword, severe mental health uh, disorder disturbance by almost 75%. Ouch. Right. 
And that's excluding the head injury idea. So it's much larger. But I'm not anti-sports here. The idea is the awareness of it. And the reason we need the diagnosis in the begin with, to begin with is so we can focus on how to treat that. Because you see veterans that don't get the proper treatment, that's because today's modern approach isn't meant to really treat that directly. So they're finding combinations of things to try to help with PTSD. That's why it's difficult to find real true help with it. Because they're applying the modern day uh, counseling approach to such severe um, ideas of PTSD but also to like gladiators, people that have had their processes of thinkings and thinking patterns changed even through behavior enforcement. So you can't work on that with the typical approach and athletes are the same way. They're shaped and molded differently. Uh, it creates a, a different way of thinking and seeing the world and has different effects. And so it's a long-term effect. So there, I know many athletes that experience similar symptoms and walk through the same misdiagnosis process of depression to ADD, eventually to bipolar, and it doesn't stop. And so this is a serious deal to me. It's it's a personal thing to me, but we wanted, I want to take this book outside of myself. The last book was enough about self uh, and reach into the world of athletics and the professional athletes that have played, are playing, uh, or are about to play even, and bring that together and really try to show Look, if you're an athlete and you're going through this, this is what you're probably experiencing. Uh, and this is why the modern uh, and standard approaches to what you've been experiencing aren't helping you. Well, I love it. I love it. I'm looking forward to that. And I did want want you to mention the emphasis on that book because I knew you have a, that you're in the process of doing it. And just a quick question on, on what you shared with us. How much of that is di not diagnosed? How much of that is tied in with kind of the same concept of being part of a tribe? Because you grow up, uh, you know, like you said, being a gladiator, and it can be in any type of sport, pushing yourself, exerting a bunch of energy, be from a gymnastic to a baseball player, basketball, football, whatever, and you're part of somewhat of a tribe. But you know, you don't yeah, this, make it. That's the you don't make I'm it sorry, man. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Keep going. My fault. Yeah. So you don't make it to college or you don't make it to the pros. It's no different than, you know, uh, somebody, a veteran coming back and finally he's done with the service. Now he he has very few people he can relate to or it's harder to find. Is that something you guys are touching on as well? Brother, you are right on. And not only, like in this book, not only do I just want to point out, hey, here's a problem over here. It's bringing people to, to the solution because this can even be applied on a societal scale. So the connection you're talking about is the social influence, the social impact. I mean, Dr. Yeah. Gabor Mate is the specialist, if you will, on social theory and social impact uh, toward mental health. Um, but too much of a simple social focus, in my opinion, though. Um, but that social impact is massive. So when it defines us, when our social circle defines us, what do you say in high school, right? Oh, no, I'm on the football team, right? You, you define yourself as the group. Yeah. So when that happens, this has a, a huge play on the psyche, the development of the personality, the behavior, everything. So as that advances forward, then that's ripped from someone. Brother, you're, you're headed toward identity dissociative disorder, but not that much of a psychotic break, right? So it's that go-between. That's one of the closest diagnoses to it. So the social influence is what you're talking about. And... The solution is what we're offering is, well, happens to come back on transrational structure behavior theory, treating athletes' depression with an approach from all sides because you cultivate and sculpt an athlete through biology, through the mental game, through the physical game, through the social game, through the cultural game. And then how do you undo that? How do you treat that? You treat all sides equally and simultaneously. You don't just focus on one or the other hoping we'll all change. 
That's how you treat the veterans. That's how you treat athletes. That's transrational. It's how you treat uh, addiction uh, as well, depression, any of those focuses. So the circle is not only offering, hey, we need to point this out, but here's a solution. And that's for me, TSBT was also an offer of a solution to say, hey, let's do this instead of just 12 steps, please. Can, can we apply something else? I mean, the, for me, I'm saying open it all. I'm not saying just use yeah. this or this. I'm saying, hell, it, like I said, if somersaults work, let that in. If psychedelics works, do that. Right? Let it all in. We shouldn't be confined as practitioners or as patients and clients to some set rule book of how we change our lives. Amen, brother. Well, uh, I'm be looking forward to that book. Uh, I, I know that can help many people, whether it's coming, you know, veterans in that aspect, or you know, I was a wildland firefighter, part of a 20-person hotshot crew for 10 years, and I know several people that I worked with. Once hotshot season ended, or once they left the Forest Service fighting wildfires, they had they had lost that. So I know that's that's huge out there in the world. So awesome, brother. Thank you. Thank you for the time and uh, bringing that up for me, man. And uh, yeah. let me talk about it. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks for letting me on, fellas. All right, Jason. <laughs> I say, man, people got extra bonus content there, man. This is this is yeah, this is the way it's, this way it's supposed to go, folks. Anyways, uh, this is Jason J. Boom Legard. That, of course, is my co-host, uh, my business brother, Billy Badass himself, Eddie Aguilar, our amazing guest, Adam Lowry of Cognitive Rampage. And you know what? We were talking a little bit earlier. You know about being a megaphone to the masses. Uh, you know with our podcast. Well, here's the deal: every single day when you wake up tomorrow morning, in the next instant, we always tell you have the, the a choice to make a decision that it's your time to climb. Well, you don't have to have a podcast to do that. You don't have to be a megaphone to the masses. You could be the megaphone to yourself first. Start there, and then it works into your community. It works through your family, and then you can change this whole fucking world. Go out there. Get after it. It's your time to climb. This is the Mindset Mount Podcast. Boom! We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, everybody. Jason J. Boom Legard here, back to close the show per usual. And as a lot of you that listen in know, that first and foremost, you know, we always start out with an immense shout-out of gratitude for our guest. And once again, you know, we're... We're honored to get the chance to bring on a guy like an Adam Lowry of Cognitive Rampage. And it's an honor to be in his presence and have him unleash everything that he did from the heart, from his soul, uh, from his experiences, and hold nothing back. Because when he does that, he helps fulfill the mission that Eddie and I have with this podcast. So first and foremost, as always, thank you so much to Adam Lowry for coming on the show. And usually at this point, you know, take care of a couple bits of business. Well, this is going to be even shorter than the norm because I'm not going to ask you to subscribe to the podcast. And I'm not going to ask you to go give a five-star review on iTunes. The only thing that Eddie and I are going to ask you today, share this episode. Share it. I don't care how. I don't care how, how many times, if it's once, if it's twice, if it's ten times. I don't care where you share it. But if ever there's been an episode that we want every single one of our diehard listeners to share out to their audience, it's this one. So if you want to help us, if you want to help Adam, and most importantly, if you want to be a part 
of helping this world heal, then share this episode. This is Jason J. Boom Legard. God bless you one and all, and we'll look forward to seeing you in the next one. Boom.